We're going to go ahead and uh, dive in uh, in just a minute. If you've got your, uh, if you have your cell phone on you, I would encourage you to go to genoastudents.org. And uh, if you go to the website, you will see that there is a tab. It's the second tab down, and it's called Sermon Notes. And you can click on that and actually get the online sermon notes for our message today. In fact, if you go to the website, oh, mm, mobile's not working great. But it's this picture of the Bible and the pencil. Click on that, and now you have all of the notes online for our lesson tonight, okay? So I would encourage you to do that. You can take notes that way. You can keep track of stuff. And then once you hit save, you can actually go back to it and read it again later, okay? So what I'd like you guys to do is go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 15, verse 21, and go ahead and go there. Before you do, though, I would like to, um, uh, I want to play, it's not really a game, but I want to see how many of you guys can do this. Uh, I'm going to put, we're going to put a logo up on the screen, and you need to raise your hand and tell me what company it is. This is not hard, okay? Go ahead and do the first one. Here's the first one. Actually, just, just say it, all right? McDonald's, Mickey D's, Burger King. Who said that? Andre? Of course you did. Of course you did. All right, it's McDonald's, obviously. You can drive on 71 for two hours and see about 300 of these, all right? They're everywhere. Let's do the next one. Amazon. Amazon. Amazon has changed my life for the better. I don't leave my house anymore. I order everything through Amazon. All right, next one. Ooh. Pepsi, not too hard. Coca-Cola. All right, next one. Pizza Hut. You can't, you can't out Pizza the Hut, right? You can, yeah. Anybody like Pizza Hut? It's pretty good. They always have a pretty good buffet. All right, next one, next one. Pringles. Yeah, I thought that one, that one's pretty good. What did he say? <laughs> that, that does not look anything like Steve Harvey. Unless he said, and the winner is Miss... Venezuela. Oh, man, I got it wrong. Do you guys remember when Steve Harvey said the wrong Miss Universe? Oh, it was amazing. Next one. Next one. Ooh. Batman. Yeah. Is that all of them? I think that's all of them, right? That's all of them, right? Okay. I, I can't see or hear you. Just wave your... Is that... Okay, good. All right. All right. So th- those are the logos. Now, let me... Let me I'm going to show you one more, and this will be the one that we focus on tonight. This should not be too hard to get. Okay, this is a logo here, all right? What does this symbol represent? Somebody raise your hand and tell me. Just raise your hand and tell me. Yes, sir. Jesus, yes. What else? When you see a cross, what do you think of? Somebody raise your hand. Anybody else? Oliver. Wow, how Jesus sacrificed our sins or his life to remove our sins. Miles. Christians, I love it, yeah. Typically, if you see a cross, this, this is a logo or a symbol that I would say is in a lot of places. You know, it's dark outside, so you might not notice this when you came in, but directly above us, actually, there's a steeple with a cross on it up there. So uh, typically, if you see a building with a cross on the top, you say, oh, that's a church, okay? What's that? Or a hospital. <laughs> yeah, that's true, right? Um, a lot of, a lot of uh, Christian hospitals, right? You also see people will have uh, necklaces that have crosses on it. You've seen this, right? A lot of people wear them. Uh, football, this year especially, I've noticed that there's been a lot of crosses on the face, two crosses on each side, which I thought was kind of cool, right? But a lot of people wear, will wear this cross. And, and, and what's funny about it is this, this symbol here, if, if, you, if you really understand what it represents, you understand that this symbol represents a very gruesome, uh, painful day for someone, or for a lot of people, actually. 
Think about Jesus when he died on the cross. I'd say that was a pretty painful day for him. His mother, Mary, who was watching the whole thing, I'd say that was pretty painful. And what, so what I want us to do today is we're going to be... Um, we're going to be continuing our series of Making a Messiah. Let's go ahead and put that uh, slide on the screen if you don't mind. This is our, our logo for the uh, series Making a Messiah. And we're trying to answer this question of who is Jesus Christ? Because a lot of people will give you a bunch of different answers. If you remember our first week, we, we showed this video where, where uh, they were like, hey, what does Jesus mean to you? And remember the first guy was like, whoa, man, you're trying to, you're trying to pick a fight here, right? Some people get offended when they hear about Jesus. Some people, when, they, when you talk about Jesus, they go, oh, I've given my life to him, right? And what we're trying to do in this series is show you that Jesus d- didn't just kind of serve one purpose, that each gospel paints a different picture of Jesus Christ. Remember, we talked uh, week one, we talked about the book of John. Does anybody remember what, uh, what Jesus, uh, it was Jesus the something? Does anybody remember week one? I'll be very impressed if you do. Jesus is... No, that was last week. Jesus is g- 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 God. Did you know it? You knew it. Yeah, Jesus, Jesus the God, or Jesus is God. And we talked about how in the book of John, it was very important that when, 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 when the author of John was writing this, he was like, hey, I want you to know that Jesus is the Son of God. Like, he is God. There's no confusion here, okay? Last week was what? Jace, what was last week? Jesus the the tenth. <laughs> the tenth. It was Jesus the healer, right? We talked about how Jesus uh, came for a very specific job and, and that was, or very specific purpose, and that was to seek and save the lost. He wanted to bring healing to people. He, he healed the lame. He healed the blind, the deaf, the mute. Like, he did all of these amazing healings. And today, what we're going to talk about is Jesus the sacrifice. Jesus the sacrifice, and don't you guys agree that the cross goes pretty well with that topic, doesn't it? Jesus the sacrifice. Because what Jesus did on this cross was the most important act that a person could ever do for you. The most important. And what I want us to do is answer this question is, why did Jesus have to die on a cross? I don't know if you guys are like me, but I don't tend to take things for face value when people tell me stuff. Like, they'll say, even growing up, they'll say, Jesus died on a cross for you. And I said, oh, put your hand down, please. I'll call you in just a little bit. He says, uh, they'd say, um, uh, like, I would ask my leaders. I'd say, well, well, what does that mean Jesus died on a cross for me? Like, why did he have to die on a cross? He was God. Couldn't God just say, hey, you're forgiven? Why does he have to die on the cross? What we're going to do today is we're going to answer this question on why he had to die on this cross. And Chrissy, again, painted. Where's Chrissy? Is she in here right now? Is she out there? Chrissy Fuller painted this again. And I didn't she? Look at this. It's, it's just brush strokes, but it looks so good. And I didn't even tell her to do red, and she did red. It goes perfectly, because we're going to be talking about goriness today. So get ready. All right. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive into Mark 15. Okay, let's bow our heads, and we'll uh, go before the Lord. Dear God, thank you so much for this day. I'm so grateful how you, you bless us over and over again. I'm grateful how you've blessed me in my life, and and God, as we, as we dive into this topic today of you sending your son to be the sacrifice on a cross, of, of this, this different portrait that we're looking at of you, God, my prayer is that, um, that we can understand this, that it's not a very easy topic to understand the whole sacrificial system, but God, give me the words to say, and um, I just pray that we can leave here with such a great appreciation for what your son did on that cross for us. We love you, God. We thank you, and we praise you in your name. And all of God's children said...
Amen. All right, if you've got your Bibles, let's go ahead and do Mark chapter 15. We're going to start at verse 21. We've got a couple of verses here, so I'm going to read through it. Um, All of these scriptures, I believe, are on the screen, so you can follow along as well. But we're going to go over what the crucifixion is. Because um, if you're new to church, I'm glad you're here. That's awesome. But there, there are some people who might not know what the crucifixion is. So I figured we'd cover it and we'll, we'll talk about it, all right? Mark chapter 15, verses 21. Here we go. Follow along. They forced a man coming in from the country who was passing by to carry Jesus' cross. His name was Simon. He was the father of Alexander and Rufus. They brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. First off, does anybody know why they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh? Yes, sir. Right. It, it, exactly. Like, it, um, it, was, it would help dull the pain a little bit. And Jesus, but, but I, think, I think when we're talking wine and myrrh, it might have done something to his mind as well. And I think Jesus was like, no, 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 I got to have a clear mind here. I, I can't, I, I'm here for a purpose. I'm here for a reason. I don't want my mind to be not of sober mind. So um, he did not take it. Verse 24. Then they crucified him, and they divided his clothes, casting lots for them to decide what each would get. Now it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge written against him was the king of the Jews. They crucified two criminals with him, one on the right and one on the left. Those who passed by were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, Ha, this is the one who is going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself by coming down off the cross. In the same way, the chief priests with the scribes were mocking him among themselves and saying, hey, he saved others, but he can't save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from that cross so that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him were taunting him. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma shabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, See, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, fixed it on a stick, offered him a drink, and said, Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed his last. Then the curtain of the temple was torn into from top to bottom. When the centurion who was standing opposite him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. Now, Every, uh, each gospel has a different account of the, of the crucifixion. They, tell, they, they, they show their version of it. And, and, and what we see here is we see a man that was put on a cross. We're going to talk about crucifixion in a little bit in a little more detail. But essentially what would happen is they would put a person on a cross. His head would be here. His left hand would be on this side, right hand here. And they would drive nails through his hands to pin him to this cross. And on his feet down here, they would put a nail through his feet. Now, I, uh, I made, I won't say it's a mistake, but last night as I was preparing for this message, I rewatched the end scene of The Passion of the Christ. And I don't know if anybody's seen this movie before, but it will wreck you. Because what they tried to do with this movie is they said, hey, we're going to paint a very accurate picture of what happened on the cross. And so I watched it. I was, I, guys, I was weeping. I, I'm not ashamed to say that, but I, Brittany came down and she goes, I just finished it, and she goes, are you okay? And I was like, I'm fine. And I'm like wiping the tears away. But man, it's, it, it's, it, this, this is a very, um, it's a very moving moment because this wasn't just a criminal who was killed. This was a guy who was murdered and killed for a very specific reason. Now, 
last, the first week we talked about the Gospel of John. Last week we talked about the Gospel of Matthew. And this, this week we're just going to briefly mention the Gospel of Mark, which is what we read from. Now, if you have your notes, this, this shows the synopsis of Mark here. But let me tell you the reason Mark wrote this Gospel. He says, or this is, this is the summary of what Mark is all about. It's about Jesus, the mighty Messiah and the Son of God, who obediently suffered as the servant of the Lord to pay the ransom for sins and as a model of suffering and sacrifice for his disciples to follow. The Gospel of Mark portrays Jesus in a way that a lot of Jewish people were not expecting Jesus to be. Does anybody remember what they were expecting their Messiah to be? Any ideas? What? Yes, sir. Yeah, they expected this king, right? They actually expected uh, a, a king that was going to come and overthrow Rome because they, they, were, they were servants to Rome. They were slaves to Rome. And they said, our Messiah is going to come. He's going to wreck house, man. He's going to come on this, this horse maybe, this nice horse with, with armor, with a sword. And he's just going to go in there and he is going to tear them up. And then we will be in charge again. Is that what happened with the Messiah? No. In fact, we talked about this. He was born in a manger. He was, by all accounts, uh, probably, he was not wealthy. He was probably somewhat poor, all right? But he, he, he was not this, this high warrior king that they were expecting, at least not physically. Now, what we find out is that, yeah, he was this king, and he did defeat somebody in battle, but it was the devil, right? So, again, the question is, why did Jesus have to die this way, okay? If he came and lived for us, what was the reason? Now, tonight, I, again, I got, I got a weird question for you, okay? Who in here, does anybody here like gory movies? Anybody enjoy gory movies, okay, that are PG-13 and less, all right? All right? I, um, I, for, for whatever reason, I love gory movies, okay? I, I really, uh, I don't know why. They, I guess it's the guy coming out of me, but it, I think that if God didn't call me to ministry, I would be in, like, on a CSI team or something because I really enjoy crime scene pictures, which is really weird. I was, I, when I used to work at the bank, I would have all this free time when we'd have like a dead day and I would just be like looking up crime scene photos of murders and stuff. And I was like, Ooh, this is interesting. And my boss came up to me one day and she goes, I need to talk to you. I said, what? She goes, you're looking at a lot of weird stuff online. Like, why are you looking at crime scene photos? And I was like, it interests me. I don't know. I want to, maybe I thought I'd be a detective someday. I, um, my sister is a phlebotomist, and so she loves blood, right? You know what that is? They're the ones who take, they find your veins, and they, uh, they put the needle in your arm. I remember I went up to my sister once. I kind of gave her a hug. I was like, good to see you again. And she looked at my arm. She goes, oh, that's a good vein. Man, I wish I had my needle, and I could draw some blood from you. And I was like, get away from me, sicko. All right? And she is sick. But the Bible, the Bible if, I, always, I always say that if, if you were to make a movie of the Bible that was extremely accurate and extremely literal, do you guys realize it would be the goriest movie of all time, right? The Bible, there are some jacked up stuff that happens in this book here, okay? And we're going to talk about one of those today is the crucifixion. But there is some crazy, crazy things. And the Bible actually, blood plays a pretty specific part. In fact, let's, let's look at uh, Leviticus 17.11. Go ahead and put that on the screen. Listen to this verse here. It says, For the life of a creature is in the blood. I have appointed it to you to make atonement on the altar for your lives, since it is the lifeblood that makes atonement. Now, if you know what that means, good for you. I remember when I was a teenager, I was like, what does that mean? What, what does that mean, the, the, the life of a creature is in the blood, of course? And, and the idea is if, if blood is running through your body, you're alive, right? 
okay? But the, the key word here that we're going to focus on for just a couple minutes is that word atonement. Now, on your notes on, on the online thing, I gave two definitions here, and these are very important words that I want us to define before we go any further. It's the word sacrifice, and it's the word atonement, okay? Here's the word sacrifice. A sacrifice is the offering up of something precious for a cause or a reason, do you guys remember, we've, talked, we've probably talked about this in the Old Testament. Whenever they would sin, what they would do is they would take a, a, this innocent lamb, right, this, or this innocent animal, they would put it on an altar, and they would kill it. And that was the sacrifice to cover their sins, which leads us to our next definition, the word atonement. Go ahead and put that one up for me. Atonement means satisfying someone or something for an offense committed. So if we're talking about a sacrifice, you have sinned. In the Old Testament, they would take this animal, they would go to the altar, they would offer the animal as a sacrifice, they would kill it, and its innocent blood, its pure, clean blood, would cover their sinful blood, okay, their sinfulness. It's this idea there that, um, that God has set up this system where he says, hey, the only way to clean dirty is to clean it with clean, okay? I've used this analogy before where if you're dirty with sin, like if you have dirty clothes, you're not going to put them in the laundry and say, Ooh, I'm going to throw some dirt in there, and that'll clean it up. You say, no, I'm going to throw some soap in there. I'm going to put some detergent in there. And in the same way, God set up this system, the sacrificial system, as, as a way for us, for these people to cover their sins. And guys, it was extremely gory. In fact, I'm going to show you this video real quick. Don't worry, it's a cartoon. It's not going to be too gory. But you, you could spend a lot of time trying to go over the sacrificial system because there's a lot to it. But have you guys ever heard of the Bible Project before? And yeah, if you've never seen any videos by the Bible Project, go to YouTube and type in Bible Project. These guys are masters at taking a topic and they, they put pictures up there with it and they describe it. And I looked up what they talked about, about sacrifice and atonement, and I realized that they, uh, I could never say it as good as these guys. So we're going to watch a, a couple minute video here and hopefully this will explain the sacrificial system. All right, go ahead and hit it. We all long for the world to be good, for people to live in peace act with love and justice, but there's a problem. Something compels us humans to constantly wreak havoc and destruction instead, and we call this evil. And from the Bible's point of view, evil ruins things in at least two ways. There's a direct effect of our evil, like when someone steals from another person, they've created injustice. Hmm. You know, therefore, you know, they owe something to make it right. But there's another indirect effect of evil, because they've also ruined the environment of the relationship, creating a lack of trust, there's emotional damage. It's like vandalism, and they need to make that right, too. Now, many people believe, hey, God is good. He should be the one to just get rid of all the evil in the world. But let's be honest. I mean, the evil that I see everywhere out there, it's the same evil that's inside of me. We have all contributed, and, and we keep doing it. And so this kind of puts us in a bind. If God's going to rid the world of evil, he'll have to get rid of us. And this is what's so remarkable about the story of the Bible. This God is so good that not only is he going to rid the world of evil, he's going to do it without destroying humanity. So how is he going to do that? Well, early in the story of the Bible, we're introduced to this practice of animal sacrifice, which I know, it seems weird to us, but for the Israelites, it was a very powerful symbol of God's justice and of his grace. So remember, I'm a contributor to the evil that's in the world. I should be removed. But God is allowing this animal's life to be a substitute. It's symbolically dying in my place. 
And the biblical word for this is atonement, which means to cover over someone's debt. But there's a second part to this ritual. Remember, evil also causes this relational vandalism. And in the Bible, this idea is described as polluting or defiling the land and making it unclean. So the priest would symbolically wash away the vandalism by sprinkling the animal's blood in different parts of the temple. So the animal's blood is cleaning things? Well, remember, this is a symbol, and it's a symbol that we're not used to. The blood represents life. And the sprinkling of the blood is this representation of how God is cleaning away these indirect consequences of evil in their community. In the Bible, this process is called purification. And so the temple and the land now become a clean space where God and his people can live together in peace. So this ritual makes things right between Israel and God. And more than that, the Israelites experience God's love and his grace through these symbols. And by being forgiven, ideally, this would compel them to become people of love and grace too. Right, that's the ideal, but it wasn't always happening. Right. So the prophet Isaiah, for example, he talks a lot about this. He opens his book by saying that the continual sacrifices of the Israelites had become meaningless because they were also allowing great evil in their midst, ignoring the poor and the oppressed. Even the Israelite kings were distorting justice. But Isaiah looked forward to a day when a new king from the line of David would come and deal with evil, but in a surprising way. The king would become a servant and not just serve, but also suffer and die for the evil committed by his own people. And his life would be offered as a sacrifice. This is the promise Jesus believed he was fulfilling. He's the king of Israel suffering and dying on the cross. In fact, Jesus himself used Isaiah's words when he said that he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And that word ransom refers to his sacrifice of atonement. And so all over the New Testament, we hear about how Jesus' death was an atoning sacrifice for us. It covered the debt that humans owe God for contributing to all of the evil and death in his world. But the New Testament authors also talk about Jesus' death as providing purification. And so we hear about Jesus' blood as a symbol of his life, having this ability to wash away the vandalism that evil has caused in us and around us so we can now live at peace with God. So that's the meaning behind Jesus' death. But there's more to the story. Yeah, the New Testament makes this powerful claim that Jesus' death was not final. He rose from the dead. And so he's the sacrifice who broke the power of death and evil, which means that he lives on to offer his life to anyone who will accept it. He is the perfect sacrifice to which all the previous sacrifices were pointing all along. So let me ask the question again. Remember, tonight we're trying to figure out why is it that Jesus died on the cross? They had, hey, can you turn the lights on up here if you don't mind? Oh, there it is. Perfect. Um, why, why did Jesus have to die on this cross? And, and, and here's the answer. I love what they said here is they said that when, when they were sprinkling the innocent blood over everything, it was a symbol. Did you guys hear that? It was a symbol. It was never meant to be the end all. And the cool thing about this is uh, my, my first point for tonight is that Jesus' blood or, or Jesus dying on this cross fulfilled the law. And here's what that means. The animal sacrifice wasn't enough. Okay, let's read. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 to 4, or this will be up on the screen also. And I'm going to read this, so follow along, okay? Since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the reality itself of these things, It could never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. 
Otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped being offered? Since the worshipers, purified once and for all, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But, but in the sacrifice, there's a reminder of sins year after year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Let me, let me tell you what that means, okay? Is every year, they, it's called the Day of Atonement. These people, they, they would go and they would meet in a place and they would sacrifice and they would try to cover all their sins from the previous year. And every year they'd say, I've messed up. I've done some bad things. Here's what I'm going to offer to God. I'm going to offer this as a sacrifice and then I will be cleansed of my sin. But what does the author of Hebrews say? He says, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins because this was never the cure for sin, right? Do you guys remember, what's, what's the penalty for sin? We've talked about this. What's the penalty for sin? Death. It's death, right? Eternal separation from God. And God in his loving mercy and justice says, hey, I'm going to provide a way that these guys don't have to die. And so when he provided this sacrificial system, it literally was a symbol of what was to come. Let's look at that first verse there. It says, since the law is only a shadow of the good things to come. A shadow is not the thing, right? If I told you to live in a house, you wouldn't go up to the shadow of a house and be like, I'm going to live here. No, you're going to live in the house, right? The shadow literally just is a, it's almost a preview of, what's, of, the, of the house. You can see the shape of the house. You can see that stuff, but it's not the house. And God in the same way says this sacrificial system is just a shadow. It doesn't cure you of your sins, but it does cover your sins temporarily. Here's a good way to think of this. Ready? Suppose you get sick. You go to the doctor, and the doctor gives you a prescription. You get the prescription filled. You start taking the medicine, but it doesn't work, right? All it does is sometimes it relieves the symptoms, and then you go, you go to the doctor, and you say, man, that medicine made me feel really good yesterday, but today I feel terrible again. The doctor would never look at you and say, you are cured. He'd say, no, 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 you're still sick. I mean, this, this medicine here is helping you temporarily, right? The sacrificial system did that. It was a temporary relief. But God says, you know what? I'm going to actually send the cure for sin on the cross. I'm going to send my son to die on a cross for you so that sin no longer has control over you. We're going to end with this last point here, okay? Is, so again, remember, why, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Number one is he came to fulfill the law. And number two, the reason he died on the cross was because of his love for you. And point two here, I put it this way, because of his reckless love. His reckless love. Let me, I'm going to read you some facts about the crucifixion. And as I was watching The Passion of the Christ last night, I, I, I forget how gruesome this was. But I, I wanna, we're going to do some detail here because I want you to really fully understand this, okay? Um, the crucifixion, th- this is what Jesus allowed himself to go through, okay? He allowed this to happen to him. Let me read you some things about what he allowed to happen to himself. Uh, first off, crucifixion, they say, was invented by the Persians in the year 300 to 400 B.C., right? 400 years before Christ was born. And the Romans came along, and they were said to have perfected crucifixion. And what they mean by that is that the Romans were so good at torture that they took this act of crucifixion, and they added to it. They did things here, and they did things here and there to, so that if you were crucified, it was the most agonizing and excruciating pain. This is where the word excruciating comes from. It comes from this word crucifixion. So let me read you a couple things about crucifixion. Remember, they put you on this cross here. I'm going to tell you what happens, okay? Number one, the victim suffocates to death. Most times the victim suffocates. The victim, what would happen is they would support their weight by pushing up on the legs while simultaneously pulling up on the wrists. Now remember, he had nails in his hands and his feet. 
And to breathe, he had to lift himself up on those nails. As the leg muscles would tire, he would have to allow his body to hang limp. And when he did this, his diaphragm would, would crush in on itself and he would struggle to breathe. This process continued until the leg muscles gave out, forcing the condemned to suffocate. Number two, the nerves in his arms rubbed against, or I'm sorry, the nerves, yeah, the nerves in the arms rubbed against the metal from the nails. Think about this. I, I heard this described that if somebody cut your arm off and then just started poking around in it, imagine that a nail goes through your hand and anytime there's any kind of movement, what happens is it sends pain all the way up your arms. I mean, it was an excruciating thing. The nail was driven into the wrist and it would pierce the main nerve running through the arm. When the victim pushed up to breathe, his wrist would rotate against the nail, which would irritate the nerves and cause intense pain in the arms. Number three, the skin and the muscle were ripped off the person's body before crucifixion. This, to me, is where it's really gruesome, okay? Listen to this. Crucifixion involved more than just being nailed to the cross. It was preceded by a, it was preceded by a beating with a cat of nine tails, which we've talked about before. It was a, it was a whip that had metal tips, uh, little metal balls at the end of it, at the end of every strap, and, bone, and, and little clippings of bone. What would happen is the victim would be tied down with their bare back exposed, and what they would do is just over and over again, they would just whip you over and over again. The, the metal and the bone would dig into your skin, and when they would pull back, it would literally rip chunks of flesh off. And if you've ever seen The Passion of the Christ, that is the hardest scene to watch. It, it really is. Over and over again, they beat him and they beat him. Number four, wooden splinters would dig into the flesh. After, after being flogged by the cat of nine tails, the victim was then made to carry their own cross to the place of crucifixion. Typically, these crosses were extremely heavy, so they would just give them the crossbar. But they would, they would carry the cross, and the wood was not smooth or treated. It was actually splintered and jagged, meaning your body has already been cut up from the cat of nine tails. Any kind of thing on your shoulders that's just digging in and digging in, it says that the wood, or I'm sorry, it was splintered and jagged. Uh, the ragged plank moved up and down the victim's back, shoving the splinters into the open wounds. And last, uh, pain in the vital organs. The natural way for our vital organs to receive oxygen is through the flow of blood. Crucifixion prevents the vital organs from receiving the proper flow of oxygen. And the body's natural tool for communicating when something is wrong is pain. Thus, along with all the other excruciating tortures on the cross, the oxygen-deprived organs scream unimaginably pain, painful signals to the brain. It's, it's easy to think that this was just a guy nailed to a cross and then it just ended. This went on for a long, long time. You guys know the song Reckless Love? We do it in here pretty often. It's one of my favorite songs, okay? And the reason, what's funny about this song is when the song was written, I remember it got a lot of, of uh, a lot, I won't say hatred, but a lot of people kind of pushed back against it. And they said, reckless love? God's not reckless. Because when you think of the definition of reckless, what is it? You think of somebody who doesn't really care. It's just they're kind of whatever with it. I've heard people change that word because they don't like that word reckless. But when you listen to the song, the, the thing that I love about it is it talks about the reckless love of God. It's not saying God is reckless. It's saying it's the, his love is reckless. Here's, here's, here's what's cool about this. And, and when, you, when you look at the cross and you think about was Jesus reckless, and the answer is in terms of his physical body, absolutely he was. He allowed himself to go through all of this. He did not care what happened to his body. You know Why? Because he loved you guys that much. 
He loved you that much that he would be willing to die on a cross for you in this excruciating way. And any parent in the room knows what this reckless love is like, where if you see your kid get hurt, or like if a car is coming and your kid is right there, any parent, I'm saying any parent in this room, is willing to run and push that kid out of the way and get hit by the car themselves. They are reckless with their own body because they love their kid that much. And Jesus, in the same way, loved us so much that he allowed them to put a crown of thorns on his head and dig it in his head. They, they allowed him to beat him with the cat of nine tails over and over again. They allowed him to, to make him carry this cross that would just dig into his shoulders with splinters. They allowed, he allowed them to put him on this cross and just hang there. And the only way to breathe is to lift yourself up on those nails because he loved you that much. He loved you that much. The, the Bible actually says that if Jesus wanted to, he's on this cross he at any moment could have called legions of angels down and they could have just said, let's go, Jesus, you're done. They could get him off and they could destroy everybody there if they wanted to. Imagine, guys, if, if I was on that cross and people were making fun of me over and over again and saying stuff to me and beating me and all this stuff, my mindset would be like, I'm about to wreck these guys. Like, I'm getting off this cross. This is ridiculous. But Jesus loved us that much. He says, you know what? These people, the, these people that I love, these children that I love, you, me, everybody in this room, he says, you know what? They mean that much to me that I'm going to be reckless with my body, that I'm going to let them do whatever for you. Here, here's what I want to do, and then we're going to finish. I'm going to actually ask the Smiths to come on up, if that's all right. We're, we're going to, um, the, the, the church actually has two ways uh, that you continually remember the sacrifice that Jesus did on the cross, Right? When you see this cross, and when you, anytime you see a cross, my, my prayer for you guys is that you see it and you say, you know what, I, I, just, I need to take a minute and just really remember what he allowed himself to go through. And the church does this in two ways. Number one is baptism, and number two is communion. So the first one, baptism, literally what we, what we do as a way to, um, as a symbol of what Jesus did on the cross, what, what we do is when you become a Christian and you say, hey, I've given my life to Jesus, we take you, we dunk you in the water, and we bring you back up again. And that's symbolic of Jesus on the earth dying and then rising again to life. That's our way of, of, uh, of affiliating with him. And then the second one is communion. The second one is communion. And if you've never taken communion before, we're going to take communion tonight, okay? And it'll only be a minute or two. But communion is this great thing where what we do is we take bread and we take uh, some juice. And all you're going to do is um, I will tell you when to eat and drink, but... This is the way the, the bread represents the body of Christ that was beaten and, and, and marred and put on this cross. And the juice represents the blood of Christ that was spilled, this innocent blood that will forgive us of our sins. So I'm going to ask you to do this. You guys are big kids, right? We can all, uh, the, the, uh, the communion elements are in the back there. I'd like everybody to stand up and nice and slowly go grab a juice and a piece of bread and come sit right back in your seat if you don't mind. And I'm going to read some scripture and then we'll, we'll pray and do this together. So. This is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's go ahead and eat the bread next. Lord, we, we love you so much, God, and we thank you for for sending your son to die on a cross for us, God, that 
as we partake of this bread. My prayer is that we can remember what your son allowed to happen to him, to his physical body, God, because of his love for us. We thank you, God. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this and it, as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's go ahead and partake. Jesus, again, we thank you so much for this blood that you spilt on the cross, God. That as we look back in the Old Testament and we see this sacrificial system of a way to, to just kind of temporarily cover our sin, your death on the cross made it permanent that, that when we stand before you, God, you don't see a sinner. You, you see somebody who has been cleansed by the blood of your son, God. Lord, I pray that we can leave here tonight and just be strong advocates for you, God, because of what you did on that cross, that every day we remind ourselves why you died for us. And we remember that 100% of the reason you dying for us was because you loved us that much with a love that was reckless, with a love that was so passionate that you allowed yourself to be beaten, God. We love you so much, and we thank you. And we pray this in your name. And all of God's children said, amen.